this morning is Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 to 34. Again, Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 to 34. This is the Word of God. Listen to it. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank and into the sea, and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Let us pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have seen fit to reveal all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And we thank you, Lord, that in seeing these men freed, in reading about them being freed from their enslavement, Uh, to demonic possession. That we can see, O Lord, the redeeming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we can see, dear Father, what you have done through your Son. And we pray, dear Lord, that you would help us uh, to know this more and more. Help us, Lord, to learn from your word this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, I don't know what you might have been thinking as we uh, led into Joy to the World this morning. It's not too often that we sing Christmas hymns in September. Uh, It might have come as a bit of a surprise to you. But if you think about the words, if you think about, you reflect back upon these words that we all have so deeply embedded in our minds. Think about these words. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. If you think about these words, you will see how much they bear upon our lives throughout the year, and not just at Christmas time. And therefore it is fitting. It is fitting to sing it now, even if it is somewhat out of tradition. Now the idea of God's blessings flowing uh, out, of, out from Jesus, as far as the curse is found, has great interest to us this morning regarding this passage uh, that we have just read. And it makes you wonder, possibly, if C.S. Lewis had this hymn in mind, or if he had even the passage before us in mind uh, as he wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Now, many of you are familiar with this book. And you can think about the fact that especially when, after generations of it being always winter and never Christmas, Father Christmas finally arrives. And he gives presents to the children and to the beavers. You see, the white witch's spell has finally been broken, hasn't it? 
The snow is starting to fall. The trees are starting to break forth in leaf, and the flowers are starting to bud. Her reign of winter is coming to an end. And in the pages of Lewis's book, the curse, this curse which the, the white witch put on uh, Narnia, is gradually being pushed back. It's being driven away. And it's easy to see how Lewis was influenced by the truth of God's word, as we have it here before us this morning. You can see the similarities uh, with what we have seen in Matthew's gospel up to this point. Jesus is on the march, isn't he? He's come down off of the mountain. He's healed the man with leprosy. He's driven out demons. He's healed all manner of sickness. He's taught to those who wish to follow him. He's crossed the Galilean Sea. And now he's come into this country of uh, the Gadarenes. He's on the move. And in these verses we see the power of King Jesus on full display as he frees these men from the tyranny of their bondage to the powers of hell. And so I would ask you as we work our way through this passage to consider this, that Jesus comes as conquering king to set his people free. And not even the gates of hell, not even Satan himself, can stand against King Jesus. Again, Jesus comes as conquering king to set his people free. And not even the gates of hell, not Satan himself, can stand against King Jesus. Well, for ease of working our way through this passage, I've divided it into three sections. The first, I've titled The Demon Shudder, verses 28 and 29. The second, From Bondage to Freedom, verses 30 to 32. And finally, third, The Children of Wrath, verses 33 and 34. Again, The Demon Shudder, verses 28 and 29. From Bondage to Freedom, verses 30 to 32. And The Children of Wrath, verses 33 and 34. Verse 28 says, And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. There's no mention now of those crowds who had been following Jesus for some time. It appears that, at least now, that he is uh, with his disciples, that core group of men who he had called. And so presumably, Jesus and these core group of men They go to the country of the Gadarenes. They've uh, landed on the shore, the eastern shore of Galilee. And they're making their way inland. And they're approached by uh, this man. Or these men, rather. These two demon-possessed men. Now you'll note immediately, if you read this passage in in relation to its parallel passages in, in Luke and Mark, you'll see that there are differences between the accounts. Uh... Matthew's account is much shorter than either Mark's or Luke's. And the most obvious difference is that in Mark and Luke, uh, there is only one demon-possessed man who is mentioned. Here, Matthew mentions two. And many people have pointed to this and said, ah, a contradiction between the Gospels. But as someone uh, said, surely if there were two men, there was certainly one. And so Matthew uh, describes the two men who Jesus freed from bondage to demonic possession. Whereas Luke and Mark, they focus in on one. There is no contradiction here. Now, the country of the Gadarenes is in the Decapolis. It was sort of a southeastern province, the southeast of the Sea of Galilee. Decapolis literally means ten cities. Uh, it is largely Gentile in population. And you can see this by the fact that there was a herd of swine on the hillside. The Jews would not be caught dead uh, herding swine. Uh, they had no business with, with pigs. 
And so Jesus, he's left the Jewish population on the western shore. He comes to the eastern shore of Galilee to advance God's kingdom among the Gentiles. And the first people he encounters as he begins this foray into uh, the Galilean, or excuse me, into the Gentile region, the first people he encounters are two men who are possessed by demons. And they've been living as outcasts in tombs outside the city. Matthew's account describes them as being of extraordinary strength. No one is able to pass uh, near where they are. They can't get by. Mark and Luke go into a little greater detail here. They say that people try. They've tried on various occasions to chain them. And the men are so strong. The the, the one man that they describe is so strong that the chains cannot hold them. These men were obviously out of control. And as Mark says, speaking of one of the men, no one had the strength to subdue him. And these men, they came out to meet Jesus, it says in verse 29, and they say, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now the questions that the demons ask of Jesus are quite different from the questions that the disciples asked of Jesus in the last passage we considered last week, after he calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples ask, What sort of man is this? The demons say, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Do you see the difference? Do you see the irony? These people who are within the inner circle of Jesus don't even know who he is. But demons, the minions of Satan himself, know, they recognize who Jesus Christ is. Well, James Boyce in his commentary regarding the demon's question said that their words reveal that they knew and believed more about Jesus than most human beings either know or acknowledge today. The the demons themselves, they know more. They confess more about who Jesus is than most human beings today will, will be willing to acknowledge. And the same kind of argument that Boyce makes in his commentary was made by by James in chapter 2, verse 19 of his letter. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. It is no surprise that the demons know who Jesus is. Satan knew who Jesus is. He was well aware of this fact. We've already read in the early chapters of Matthew, Satan tempted Jesus. He was doing everything he could to keep Jesus from carrying out his mission to bring salvation to his people. Well, we live in a country where the gospel continues to permeate society. Every year around Christmas time, we sing countless, countless Christmas carols that talk about the redemption that Jesus Christ brings for his people. And even in the broader world, The vast majority of the world's people know something about Jesus Christ. They they know something about him. They've heard his name in one form or another. And yet the vast majority of the world's population cares nothing for who Jesus Christ is. They're unwilling to admit that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, the, the demons know this. They know that he is the Son of God, but they're confused about what he's doing. And so they ask him this question, have you come here to torment us before the time? What are they saying when they make uh, make this question of Jesus? They ask this question of Jesus. Well, they're saying they know that there's a final judgment that is to come. And again, they're admitting that they know more than most people. There's a final judgment. The demons know this, and yet they're in denial. Humans are the same way. 
Humans have a, have a, a, a sense of the apocalypse, a sense of the, the ultimate things, and yet we live in denial of what the Lord will do when He returns in glory. The demons are caught off guard by Jesus' arrival. They know the difference between Jesus' first and His second coming. However, they seem to be afraid that He's going to do something here which they thought wasn't going to happen. Until that great and final day of judgment, when Jesus does return, when he comes again that second time in glory, they thought that he was going to cast them into hell, into the abyss, the place set aside for Satan and his angels. Jesus' second coming is described. It's described in many places in Scripture, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, it is described as being like a thief coming in the night. And Paul says there that on that day many people will be caught by surprise. But Jesus also described his first coming in a similar way in Luke chapter 12, verse 39. You can turn there if you'd like. In verses 35 to 38, he's telling a parable. Uh, he wants to teach his followers to stay dressed for action, to be ready for his return. You get a picture here of the Passover. They're to be ready to go and be on the move at a moment's notice. And in these verses, he uses several uh, verbs in the future tense. He's telling them to be ready. He's clearly here talking about a second coming. But then in verse 9, there's a shift. In verse 9, Jesus says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what time the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Here he's speaking in the past tense. He's speaking of something that has already happened. Jesus was speaking of himself as master in verses 35 to 38. But in 39, master, which is literally literally, uh, should be translated the head of the house, which is how the NAS translates it. The The head of the house refers to the ruler of the world, Satan himself. Jesus is telling the disciples that he has already come. He's already robbed the enemy blind. He's taken those people who belong to him when he least expected it. Satan and his demons knew Jesus had arrived. And they knew exactly who he was. But they were still caught by surprise. They were caught. Like someone who has a thief breaking into his house at night. Jesus came. And Jesus, who is indeed mightier, as Luke chapter 12 says, excuse me, Luke chapter 11 says, Jesus is mightier than the strong man. He binds him. And he plunders his goods. And he takes those who belong to him. Well, let's turn now and look at verses 30 to 32. From bondage to freedom. The demons have asked Jesus if he came to torment them before the appointed time. Because as Mark tells us in uh, chapter 5, verse 8, of his account of this passage, Jesus was already commanding the demons. As soon as he arrived on the scene, as soon as uh, the, the men approached Jesus, he's commanding the demons to come out. Those demons who, when Jesus asked them their name, they say, our name is Legion, for we are many. He's already begun to command them to come out. And in verse 30 we learn that there was a herd of pigs nearby. Mark says there were about 2,000. They were feeding at some distance away. And the demons, they begged Jesus. They begged him that if he was going to cast them out, to send them into the pigs. There seems to be here a preference on the part of, of, of demon, of demonic power. They do not wish to wander the world, disembodied. They want to be in something, something living. And so they prefer pigs uh, to being uh, uh, able to simply wander. 
And so Jesus has one uh, word for them. He says simply, go. This is all he needs to say. And the demons, these great and mighty demons, who have bound these men for who knows how long, they flee. And they rush into this herd of pigs. And verse 32 says that when they came out of the men, they went into the pigs, and the pigs immediately rushed down the hill into the sea, and they perished. We can only assume here, it's unclear about what happens here, we can safely assume, I think, that the demons at this point were cast into hell. It was all a part of God's plan to destroy them and to send them to the abyss. Now Matthew has mentioned Jesus casting out demons in previous passages. He's mentioned this a few different times, but this is the first time that he's described it in any detail. He doesn't go into great detail here. Later on in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus has the Pharisees accusing him of casting out demons by the power of Satan. And Jesus says to them in Matthew chapter 12, verse 26, If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And then he says in verse 28 of chapter 12, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God has come. That's what Jesus is doing here. As he casts out these demons, he is reaching into those places, those far-reaching places where the curse has found its way. And he is driving the kingdom forward. He's marching. He's pushing. He's spreading the boundaries of his kingdom. And he is making Satan and Satan's angels scramble and flee before him. Well, Jesus, when he talks to the Pharisees, he's teaching, he's teaching us how to interpret what he's doing here. The people will not be able to deny that the two men who were formerly out of control are now in their right minds. They can't deny this. They, they were afraid to pass this way. Now, as Mark says, they're, they're sitting there. They're clothed. They're in their right minds. They also cannot deny what has happened to this herd of pigs. It is verifiable uh, to these people. They've witnessed what has taken place. The 2,000 pigs have rushed into the sea. Their bodies are there to be seen. But these people may choose to improperly interpret these events. And Jesus is he's providing for us, in his word, a corrective to this. He's trying to teach us, lest we improperly interpret what he's done here. He's trying to teach us that if he is casting out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God's kingdom is now here. It's already here. It's here in its full power. It's glory. And yet there's something to be done. There's something that will happen. The first fruits of God's kingdom are here. This is what Jesus is showing. Satan's tyranny has ended. The curse is being broken. And it's being pushed back. But Jesus in the Lord's Prayer has taught us to pray that God's kingdom would come. But the arrival of the kingdom has already begun. Jesus has already entered the strong man's house. He's already bound him up, as he says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 29. He has already come like a thief in the night and plundered what Satan thought belonged to him. And so now these men who Satan thought belonged to him have been set free from their bondage. They've been let loose. The demons have been sent away. And Matthew doesn't describe uh, the men after Jesus cast the demons out. But Mark does. And as I've already said, he, he says that they're clothed, they're in their right minds, they're sitting peacefully. They're approachable. 
It is the strong man, Satan, who has been bound. And these men have now been set free. Well, Matthew doesn't give us the response of these men. He doesn't tell us what they say to Jesus. But both Mark and Luke tell us that the demon-possessed men, they beg Jesus to let them come back with him. They want to ride back with him in the boat, because he's getting ready to cross the Sea of Galilee. They want to go back with him. And Jesus says to them, Stay. Tell the people all that has been done for you. And so the man went back. He proclaimed throughout the Decapolis. He, he went around and he talked throughout the Decapolis about what Jesus had done. And Mark says, everyone marveled. Everyone was amazed. These men, they believed and they acted on their faith by telling other people the good news of their release from bondage to Satan's power. Well, let's look now at verses 33 and 34. The children of wrath. Verse 33 tells us that the herdsmen, tells us that the herdsmen who had been keeping watch over the pigs, they fled into the city. They told all about what had happened, specifically, especially about what had happened to these demon-possessed men. Now, it's possible that the herdsmen were seeking to save their own hide. They had a very good excuse for what happened uh, to these pigs that were under their care. But they better be the first ones to tell the owners. But rather than rejoicing about what had happened for these men, rather than rejoicing in what Jesus Christ had done for these two demon-possessed men, the people of the city came out to Jesus, and they did what? They begged him to leave. They begged him to go away. It seems that 2,000 pigs was a huge economic loss for them. Their own property was more important to them than these two men. And the people of the city, they weren't possessed by demons. There's nothing in in Mark's Gospel or Matthew's or Luke's that says they were possessed, but they were certainly enslaved in Satan's kingdom. They were enslaved. And this is the case for all sinners who have not been set free by Christ Jesus. It is the case for all of us who still reside under the curse. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 say this, And and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then he goes on to say, Paul goes on to say in verse 3, that we all once once lived in the passions of our flesh, We were by nature the children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Before we were set free, we were children of wrath. We were enslaved to these passions. The people of the town, they cared only for the economic loss, because they were dead in their trespasses and sins. They were incapable of seeing what Jesus Christ had done for these men. They were incapable of seeing that if he could do it for these men, he could free them as well. They could not rejoice in what Jesus had done. And so they ask Jesus, they beg him to leave, to depart. They could see no way out of their own spiritual imprisonment. They had no desire to be set free. They didn't even know they were imprisoned. But this is the case for all of us. This is the case for all of us before we come to be known by Jesus Christ. It's the case for all of us before we place our faith in Him and embrace Him as our Lord and Savior. 
Jesus. Jesus brought the kingdom of God. But these people preferred instead the kingdom of darkness. They preferred the bondage. They preferred sin and night. Is this the case for us today? Is this the case for our neighbors? For loved ones? Where do our preferences lie as a society, as a nation, as a people? Even as individuals? Jesus Christ continues to be on the march. Jesus Christ is on the move. The church tends to focus on Jesus' second coming, but his first coming is of even greater importance. We shouldn't be thinking in terms of final things, last things. We should be thinking in terms of ultimate things. And this is what Jesus Christ has done when he came and he walked on the earth and he freed these men and he healed diseases. By his stripes, we are healed. He came to set the prisoners free. This is what he has done. It was at his first coming that the power of Satan and Satan's kingdom was broken. Jesus' crucifixion, it broke Satan's power on earth. It broke the back of the curse. And it frees all who profess faith in Jesus Christ, all who embrace Him in faith, all who repent of their sins and seek Him and Him alone for their salvation. Jesus' crucifixion did this. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, God continues to expand His kingdom, even now. This is how Jesus' kingdom continues to be on the march. Jesus is spreading His kingdom as far as the curse is found. He's spreading it So the sinners like you and I, sinners like ones we love, but also ones we don't even know, can be set free from their bondage, their bondage to sin. Will you rejoice? Do you rejoice? Singing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Does this give you joy in your heart because you know that you've been set free? Or are you still in bondage? Do you refuse to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus is here. He is on the march. His kingdom has arrived. But only those who believe in Him will be let in. Let us come before Him now in prayer.